0: This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime in our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. Or online, anytime, at faithlivingchurch.com.
1: How many of you are looking forward to 2021? Or would you re- rather go back and let's just do 2020 again? No, I think we, we, we've got all the usefulness out of that one, Right. We want to move on forward. I agree 100% with you. Well, uh, let me share a couple of things to consider as we close the door on one of the most challenging years of our lifetime. You know, and I've got, oh, about a dozen things here. Uh, Someone said, the dumbest thing I ever bought was a 2020 planner, you know. I reckon nothing came out quite the way they had planned it. (laughs) Number two, I was so bored, I called Jake from State Farm just to talk to someone. Number three, 2019, you stay away from negative people. 2020, you stay away from positive people. (laughs) No different concept there, but... Number four... The world has turned upside down. Old folks are sneaking out of the house and their kids are yelling at them to stay indoors. (laughs) Number five, this morning I saw a neighbor talking to her dog. It was obvious she thought her dog understood her. I came into my house and told my cat and we laughed a lot about it. (laughs) Number six, every few days, Try your jeans on just to make sure they fit because pajamas have you believing all is well. (laughs) I reckon a lot of people just stay in their pajamas all day long, I suppose. Number seven, does anyone know if we can take a shower yet or should we just keep on washing our hands? (laughs) This person didn't get the memo that showers are okay, I think. Number eight, this virus has done what no woman has been able to do, cancel sports, shut down all the bars and keep their men at home. You know. Uh, number nine, I never thought the comment, I wouldn't touch him with a six foot pole would become a national policy, but here it is. Um, I hope the weather is good tomorrow for my trip to the backyard. I'm getting tired of the living room. And then the last one, never in a million years could I have imagined I would go up to a bank teller wearing a mask and ask for money. (laughs) Hoping you a happy new year. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's good to laugh. The Bible says a merry heart does us good like a medicine. A broken spirit dries out our bones. And that's where our blood is generated the marrow of our bones. So if you got a broken, sad, gloomy spirit, it's not healthy for you, but if you can find something to laugh about, it's physically and spiritually healthy for you. Well, I want to uh, continue. We started talking about last week about radical change or a radical transformation. And you'll notice that... Uh, You know, our values here at Faith Living Church is relationships, transformation, and relevance. And I want to talk about the transformation aspect of it today. But, um, you know, it's, it's the church. The local church is the hope of the world. I know folks are just now figuring out that churches are essential because it's a place where people come and they... They worship God together and they share His word together and their faith increases there and they pray one for another and it's essential genuinely. But the church is the hope of the world. And our mission, which is our mission statement, if you can figure it out and read it there, is to make fully devoted, fully devoted followers of Christ. You know, and that's really talking about. Uh, being transformed in our minds and in our heart and transformed in our lifestyle, becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ and to build vibrant relationships. And, you know, f- this past year we started something as a prototype and the virus kind of interrupted it. We began a uh, uh, an experience called Rooted. It's it's life groups of a whole other kind, and uh, you know we we had 15 people in each one, and we had uh, 60 people across the board involved in these rooted uh, gatherings. Excuse me. And then the virus hit, and then we shut down for a while, and then we figured, well, why can't we why can't we just continue to do it? You know, and what we did, we did it and with Zoom. Y'all familiar with Zoom? Zoom, 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 you know. It's where you can open your computer or your phone, whatever, and if you got 15 people, you got 15 faces that you can see them, and whoever starts talking can dominate the page there, and you go back. And uh, there was times when we went back to doing it on Zoom, I I could not for life of me remember, did we do that live or did we do that through Zoom? Because her relationships were really strong, and we shared testimonies, and what we do in the uh, rooted experience, we have a devotion. And the rooted uh, you know, experience only lasts for 10 weeks, but we have a devotion to read every day, and we share how it impacted our lives. Really powerful. You know, the Bible says, go on all the earth, you preach the gospel to every creature, you lead people to Christ, but then he says what? Make disciples of men. And the whole rooted Experience is disciple making. That's what it's all about. So, in this year, we're going to kick off. Rudy We've been talking about it. We've been trying to raise it back up, but now is the time. And that's what it's talking about. When you read our our mission, is to build vibrant relationships. It's through uh, life groups, relationship with God, yes, but relationship with other believers. That's where discipleship really takes place. And then our mission is to communicate God's message in relevant ways. Now, what does relevant mean? It means you might use three bags to communicate your message. You know, this is a three bag sermon. You know, you you communicate in a way that people can grasp hold of it. So this is our, our mission. But let me uh, get on with our <clears throat> looking at the scriptures in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We read it last week, but it says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God, if you choose to, because you can resist him, but let God transform or change you into a new person by changing the way you Think <coughs> because see, our thoughts shape our lives, what you think about shapes your lives, and the scripture says don 't just become like the secular world around about you here, but let God transform let God change you into a new person by changing the way you think, and God will change the way our think and we 'll begin to think a whole lot like he thinks you know, but remember. Transformation is a process. You know, when you accept Christ, he forgives all your sins. But this is a a lifetime process, you know, and uh, it takes our whole lifetime. There's always change that he's bringing about in us as we're becoming more and more like him. And one of the things that helps us is is the the water of the word. The Bible refers to itself as being like like uh, water. You know the washing of the water of the word, the fountain of living water, and so forth and so on. Um, are you familiar with the the Christmas Carol? It was a movie, or as a book? Yeah. Who was the uh, the number one character? Scrooge. You remember Scrooge? Yes. Well, we see. I mean, I, I love the movie. I, I think it's fantastic because in the beginning, and you see Scrooge's behavior and his lifestyle. But by the end of it, he has experienced a radical change, a radical transformation, hasn't he? Yeah. If you've ever watched uh, the movie about Scrooge, you, you see that, you know? Um, and what I want to do is to show you that in the New Testament, there is a guy who's a real Scrooge. Genuinely, he was a real, real Scrooge. And uh, I would like to, to look at that with you in just a moment, but let me finish this passage here, where it says, "Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Our mind can become a landfill; it can become a uh, a garbage dump of of bad things, of broken things, of failed things, of worldly things." And it says, "Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think." Then. If you let God change the way you think, then you will know what God wants you to do. Now, isn't that the truth? Don't we want to know what God wants us to do? What do you want me to do for the rest of my life, Lord? Then you will know what God wants you to do, you know. And you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will for you really is. Some people, are like, well, if I really surrender my life, he'll try. To, he'll make me do something I don't want to do, like go to Africa and live in a mud hut or something or another. You know, no, whatever. When you discover what God's will for your life is, you will absolutely be thrilled with it. That's just the truth of it. It really is. You know. Anyhow, it says here in Luke chapter nineteen, uh, as you look with me to verse one, it says. Jesus entered Jericho, and he made his way through the town. And there was a man there named, what's that say? Zacchaeus. This is the guy. He's the biblical, the New Testament biblical Scrooge. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was one of the most influential Jews In the Roman tax collecting business. One of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax collecting business, and he had become very rich, just like Scrooge. And nobody liked Zacchaeus, except other tax collectors, because everybody hated the tax collectors, because he was, Zacchaeus was a Jew working for the Roman government and he was taxing his own people and the way you tax and you made your salary is that the roman government said i want so many dollars a day or a week and then whatever you can get from the people above that is your salary so there was always ripping people off and nobody really liked the the uh, the tax collectors, and they really didn't like the Romans either. So you mix them together and you're taking advantage of your own people. He had a bad rap. That's just the truth of it. Anyhow, we'll come back to uh, chapter 19, but let me back up to Luke 18. It says, Jesus watched him go and then said to his disciples, you know, there was a there was a rich young ruler who come and said, hey, what do you want me to do? I can have eternal life and this and that and others. Very wealthy man. And Jesus, you know, told him, well, just, you know, give away what you got. Come follow me. And it says Jesus watched him go. And then said to his disciples, there's a teachable moment, guys. Come over here. How hard it is for rich people to get into the kingdom of God. Did, did you know that? There's nothing wrong with having finances and having all your bills paid and having enough left over to help other people and to be generous. There's nothing wrong with having wealth, but sometimes wealth has a hold of you. And Jesus said how hard it is for rich people to get into the kingdom of God and really referring to this uh, rich young ruler here. And then he goes on and says... It is easier, Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Hmm. Because, see, when you're rich, you have a tendency. When problems come your way, there is a tendency to trust your riches. Oh, they can solve all my problems. You know, if I get sick, my wealth will you know, be able to facilitate a cure or somehow hire the right doctors and the nurses. If I have a need, no matter my finances. And there is a tendency to trust in that. And when Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, there are many different kinds of eyes of needles. And, you know, there's a uh, gates around, uh, the walls of, uh, and the city and, uh, People are coming in, bringing goods, and going out and traveling and all through the sea of great big old gates like this, but at nighttime, they close these massive gates. But inside the the door of the gate is a little door that you can just open and scoot through, you know, if you come late and the gates are all closed. There's these little doors, and these little doors are referred to as the... uh, what? Anybody, anybody heard about this? It's the eye of a needle. So it says here, it's easier for, uh, well, let me just read it to you. I want, I want you to see this. I don't want you to forget it. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now see what happened is if you got there late and you had a camel and he's loaded down with hundreds of pounds of goods, bags and this and that and another, and they're strapped in there tied all to him. Well, the gate's already closed for today to protect the city. And so the camel has got to kneel down and the owner has got to take off hundreds of pounds of goods, drag them through this thick wall door, drag them through there, put them out of the way, get the other one. Get the other one, drag it through, drag it through, drag it through, drag it through. You know, And then you get the camel. He's got to crawl through the eye of the needle, through this little doorway. He's got to crawl because it's so short. And once he gets in, then you start putting all the goods back on. You got to tie them on there. This is a long process. And then, well, it's already nighttime. So then you got to go toward your home or where you're going and unload the camel again. It's just a lot of to do, you know. And the Bible says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because people tend to put their trust in their wealth. And your wealth is constantly saying, although our world is trying to take it off now, our wealth continually says, it's in God you trust. You know, don't trust me. It's in God you trust. Um, Let's pick back up here in Luke chapter 19, where we saw Zacchaeus. He's kind of like the the biblical uh, Scrooge. And he was one of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax collecting business. And he was very rich. Verse three says, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was just too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead of where he knew that Jesus in the crowd was going to be, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree beside the road so he could watch from there. And when Jesus came by, Jesus just stopped. It would have probably been an interesting sight to see. He stopped, and he looked up. Hey, Zacchaeus, what you doing up there? You know, but he, said, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. Can you imagine this? Everybody did not like Zacchaeus. He's the tax collector for the Romans. And he cheated. Jesus said, quick, come down, for I must be a guest in your home today. Now, what if Jesus was here with us in the flesh right now, and he said this to you? He said, come over here, man. I'm going to be a guest in your home for lunch today. How many would say, oh, this is awesome, this is fantastic, this is wonderful? Two. Because the rest of you are going, oh, can you do this tomorrow? I've got to clean up some stuff. <laughs> or maybe get rid of some stuff. I don't want you to see this or that or nothing. Wow, isn't that picture beautiful? We should go fishing for a while, and then I'll finish the sermon later. That is awesome. That is wonderful. He said, when I'm sitting out here during worship time, y'all see things like that? Sitting so close up here, I never get to see those. That's awesome. Has nothing to do with the sermon, but that's just a beautiful picture. Oh, man. Anyhow, what were we talking about anyhow? Oh, he said, I must be a guest in your home today. And how would your response be, you know? Well, listen to Zacchaeus. It says in verse 6, Zacchaeus, he quickly came down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Oh, this is wonderful. This is fantastic. This is wonderful. He couldn't wait. I mean, we see something happening in an old tax collector's heart where Jesus, he, he looked up, he spoke to me in front of everybody. Nobody likes me. And he's coming to my house for lunch today. Uh, Let me read you something out of the book of Revelation. And it's a very similar statement. It says, behold, Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and we'll dine with him and he with me. And Jesus is knocking on Zacchaeus' door. Hey, come on down here right now. I I need to come to your house today and visit with you for a little while. And Zacchaeus, he was just thrilled about this. Anyhow, getting back over here to Luke 19, verse 7, it says, but the crowds were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Can you believe this Jesus guy who's preaching this good news about heaven? He's healing the sick, even raised some of the dead, but now he's going to go and have dinner with this notorious sinner, the scum of the earth, you know? Well, let's take a peek at Mark chapter two, verse 14. It says here, as Jesus walked along, it's the same kind of a story, but a little bit different. As Jesus walked along, he saw Levi's. Anybody know what his name was changed to? Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That Matthew, he started out. Levi, as Jesus walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his. He owned it, his tax collecting booth. He was doing the same thing Zacchaeus was doing. I'm sure, they probably knew each other, and Jesus says, Levi. Come, be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, got a wheelbarrow, threw all of his money in it. He just got up, left it all behind, and followed Jesus. Verse 15 says, that night Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to, his, to be his dinner guest, along with his fellow tax collectors. And Zacchaeus was probably there and many other notorious sinners. There were many people of this kind, notorious sinners, among the crowds that followed Jesus. People looking for hope. People looking for meaning. Verse 16 says, but when some of the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees, saw him, Jesus, eating with people like that, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call sinners, listen to this statement, I have come to call sinners, not those who think they are already good enough. Because nobody was really good enough. But the religious people thought they were. But Jesus made it very, very clear. Jesus, he came to seek and save the lost. You know, to bring about a radical change in their lives. Let's go back to... uh, Luke chapter 19, picking up at verse 8. It says, meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood there and he said to the Lord, you know, he was so excited. Jesus called him down said, I'm going to go to your house and all. And he, he was standing there and he, Jesus didn't ask him to give away nothing. Didn't ask him to be gentle. He asked the rich young ruler. He says, just give everything you got away and come follow me. And then he goes on later on to say the rich man missed it. He didn't hear that. Anything you give away, God's going to give you 100 times more back, you know. But here, Zacchaeus was just overwhelmed with this transformation. He said, "Um, I'll give half of my wealth to the poor. Something is happening. And and there's this radical change taking place inside of Zacchaeus. Uh, Radical change taking place in Scrooge, you know. I'll give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and and uh, and he knowed he had. And if I've overcharged people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Wow, he's given half of his fortune away, and then anybody he's cheated because apparently he hadn't cheated everybody. But anybody who was actually cheated, he said, "I'm going to pay him back four times." I mean, this guy may not have much left after all this. I assume. He didn't care, though. He's making this tremendous statement here, you know? And uh, verse 9, Jesus responded. And he said, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham. And I, the son of man, Jesus told my I I have come to seek and and save those like Scrooge, those like Zacchaeus who are lost. Radical change, radical transformation by Zacchaeus. He wanted to get a good look at Jesus. He just wanted to see Jesus. Now Jesus is saying, okay, I'm coming to your house. It changed his life so much, nothing else meant anything to him. But Jesus, and Jesus says, this is what I've come to do. To save people just like Zacchaeus. That's why I've come. Is to save people. So people like Zacchaeus can experience this radical change. Change their direction altogether. You know? And looking upon Jesus truly changes us. It's possible to be born, isn't it? And never grow. You think about it. Never grow up. Just don't grow Never change. You can be born just never change. You you can remain you can remain this here is a caterpillar. You can remain a caterpillar all your life just Crawling around in the dirt and eating leaves and things like that. And you can remain, although God's intention for caterpillars is to be a whole lot more than just a grubby old worm, don't you think? I don't know if you've really ever noticed it, if you've had opportunity, but a caterpillar can change. You ever seen one of these? I get this thing. What is that? I can't hear you. It's a cocoon. He's in there. And what does most caterpillars do while they're inside there? They change. You know, they change. But some, you can resist the change. You can resist the change. God has better things than you just dying in a cocoon. Just old grubby little worm, and you just die in a cocoon somewhere. But I think God wants more of us. He wants us to reach our full potential. Don't you want to fly? Don't you want to soar the way God has created you and me to soar? You just stay there and don't fly away with my glasses here, okay? But butterflies are fantastic. They're beautiful. There is a radical change that takes place in butterflies. But there are some people who don't experience this kind of change. This, this transformation, if you would. But remember, this transformation is a process. It's a process. And there are some caterpillars for different reasons. Their, their wings are stunted. And when they come out, they have to crawl around for the rest of their life. Because they can't fly. Their wings are all twisted and stunted. And they've underdeveloped. They never reach their full development. You know? Listen to what it says here. And uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13. It says, you have been Christians a long time now. And you can just see the pages of the calendar. You're pulling them off. And then years of calendars. You've been a Christian a long time now. And you ought to be teaching others. But you've not really been exposed to the water of God's word. And you're dehydrated. Now, I know this right here in our church. Quite a few people over the years that I've been here, which is over 40, quite a few people ended up in the hospital because of dehydration. The daughter said, well, we're going to give you an IV and rehydrate you. But if you'd just been drinking water, you would have never been here in the first place dehydration, you know, can kill you. Eventually, if you don't keep enough water going in, you can get very, very sick. But the the washing of the water of the word, this living water that transforms and changes us, that's what we need. He says, you have been a Christian a long time now, and you ought to be teaching others. Uh, There's this transformation, becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ, and we should be teaching other people about what we're learning. But some people just get dehydrated and dry up pretty much and, and don't really do much. But this transformation is a process, you know, and it continues over our whole life long. But it says in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, but what's that word? Grow. Does when you got something in your garden, does the growing process change things? little blade comes up and then fruit comes up and it's just the fruit develops and matures and it's just amazing what happens. He says here, but grow in the grace. Grace is God's enabling power. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And remember, growing is a process. We got to grow and we, we've got to Uh, access the fountain of living water, uh, which is God's word. We we must access that. And uh, up here where it says you have been Christians a long time now and you ought to be teaching others, it goes on to say instead you need someone to teach you again the basic things. A beginner in the faith must learn about the scriptures. Hmm. And instead of this constant transformation, this process of transformation, people end up in what we would call stagnation. There's not change taking place in their life. But when you're taking the fountain of living water in, and this transformation is an ongoing process, it just gets better and better and better. The Christian life is like riding a bicycle. We're, we're either moving forward or what? On a bicycle. How many of y'all can ride a bicycle? Okay, that's, a, no, that's not even half. We're going to have bicycle lessons one of these days here, okay? But let me tell you, when you're riding a bicycle, if you just stop pedaling and stop, by the time it stops, you go, you fall over. Now, how many of you have ever had the privilege? Of going up an escalator that was going down. Has anybody ever done that? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest. Thank you. I'm not alone. Okay. It's kind of fun to do that. You know, escalators come down, you look around, see if there's any cops around, things like that, I reckon. Then you take off up the up, take off going up the down escalator. But what happens while you're going up if you stop? going to bring you back down. If you don't continue the process of changing and growing, you're going to fall over like on a bicycle, or you're going to be brought back to where you was originally at. You know, if you stop moving forward, you go backwards. And it says here, in Hebrews 5.12, you have been Christians a long time now and you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things a beginner must learn about the scriptures. Then he says, you're like babies who drink only milk. Now, when you're a baby, only milk is okay. But he says, you're like, and you're no baby no more. You're like babies who drink only milk and cannot eat solid food. And a person who is living on milk isn't very far along in the Christian life. Not mature. You're not developing, so you're stunted. And where you could be soaring spiritually and God using you phenomenally, you're kind of just stunted and dehydrated and dried up and not much life there. And a person who is living on milk isn't very far along in the Christian life and doesn't know much about doing what is right. Doesn't know much about, he might know what the Bible says, but he don't know much about doing what's right. You're surely not a fully devoted follower of Christ. You may be a follower, half devoted, 10% devoted, 2% devoted follower of Christ, but not a fully devoted follower of Christ, not yet, you know? Not a fully developed caterpillar, butterfly. The goal of a caterpillar is to become a butterfly one day, and we want to become fully devoted, you know? Remember, transformation is a process. And uh, it, it's supposed to go on all of our lifetime. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4 says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word, Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is the the uh, thing that nourishes us and it sustains us. This fountain of living water prevents us from being dried all up, becoming dehydrated, if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, all. Now, what percentage would all be? 100%. All scripture is inspired by God. And the Greek word there means God breathed. It's inspired. It's the only book that's full of living power. But he says here, all scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed and it's useful. It's useful, not as a paperweight, not as a doorstop. This book is useful to teach us what is true. And in this world we live now, we hear this all the time. If you turn the news on, you got fake this and false that, you know, and, and it's hard to know what's true, and what's not true. There's so many lies flying this way and that away and and, and people are hiding things and lying about this, that, and another. Well, it says here, all scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Is there anything wrong in, in our lives still? Yes. Thank you. Well, then you, you know the truth. And you go, oh, there's nothing wrong in my life. Well, there's something pretty wrong when you say there's nothing wrong there. You know, and it says it straightens us out. It 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 makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. This book does it, you know, and it says, and it straightens us out. It, it changes us. It transforms us and it teaches us to do what is right. God's spoken word brings about radical transformation, you know, genuinely does. When Dr. David Livingston, the famous missionary, started his trek across Africa, he had 73 books in three packs, weighing 180 pounds. And after the party had gone 300 miles, because he hired these people to carry his luggage and all of his provisions and his packs of books and all, After the party had gone 300 miles, Livingston was obliged to throw away some of the books because of the fatigue of those who were carrying his baggage. As he continued on his journey, his library grew less and less until he had but one book left. Anybody want to take a guess what that book was? Out of all his books of his library, he got rid of them all. It was just weighing him down, but he kept this one. This is the one that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. It is our fountain of living water. It is our food. The Bible says this we esteem the words of His mouth more than our necessary food. It is what sustains us, you know? As He continued on His journey, His library grew less and less until He had but one book left. That's phenomenal. He valued the Bible more than any other book. And still to this day, it's the best. It's the number one seller. It's the best. It's the most necessary book that's available to mankind. Uh, let's go back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We just read verse uh, 16 about all scriptures inspired by God. It's useful. It teaches us what's true. Realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out. It teaches us to do right. Verse 17 says... It is God's way. It is God's way of preparing us. God is preparing you for something. But are you being prepared? Or are you being transformed like the caterpillar into the butterfly? Or are you dehydrated? Are you just drying up and you'll never really soar Because you're just all dehydrated. You don't take advantage of this living water. It says it's God's way of preparing us in every way fully equipped <laughs> fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do a fully devoted follower of Christ fully equipped follower of Christ and that's what he wants he wants us to experience this radical change this radical transformation there was a teacher who was talking to a great scholar about a young man. And he said, I understand he's one of your students. And the scholar said, he may have attended my lectures, but he was not one of my students. Hmm. There's a world of difference between attending lectures and being a true student, being a disciple or being a follower. There's a world of difference between attending church And being a fully devoted follower of Christ. Because there's a lot of people who attend church all their life, but they're not fully devoted. You know, maybe halfway devoted, maybe three, a quarter devoted, but they're not fully devoted. You know, kind of reminds me of this little story I shared some years ago by Wilbur Reese. He said, I would like to buy... See how much have there. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. One, two, three. Okay. Yes. All right. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk, or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love other races or pick beats with the migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want about a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Um... How much of God do you want? 100%? Whoa! That's what I'm talking about. Even $5, even $100 worth of God, it ain't much. When you're talking about the Almighty, the Most High, the Creator of all, and the truth of it is you can have all there is of God. And it's kind of like the deal is like, Lord... Here, I surrender myself to you. I'm going to follow your book, and I'm going to do everything your way. And and I want all there is of you. And God says, well, you got all there is of me because you've given all yourself to me. I give all myself to you. How much of God do you have? We're talking about how much do you want, but how much do you have right now? Let's just make sure in this new year that we've given our everything to God and receive his everything because God's got work for us to do on this whole planet. And who knows how long it is before he comes and takes us home, you know. Uh, We sang this song, oh, in the last month or two, but it just goes like this. More love, more power, more of you in my life. More love, more power, more of you in my life. And I will worship you with all of my heart. I will worship you with all of my mind. I will worship you with all of my strength. You are my Lord. And when you say the word Lord, I mean your master, absolutely in control of every area of my life. You are my Lord. You are my Lord. I just want more of you because that It's what keeps this process moving forward. And God knows. He knows what's going on when we're inside that cocoon. Nobody else knows, but he knows what's going on in our life. He knows how much of ourselves we have given unto him. He knows that, you know. Anyhow, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. It says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Spend your time and energy in training yourself for spiritual fitness, you know? And spiritual fitness brings about transformation. Verse eight says physical exercise has some value. It it transforms our weak muscles into stronger muscles, but spiritual exercise is much more important. It transforms our, our entire being for it promises a reward in both this life and the next. We need to develop healthy habits. We need to have ongoing spiritual exercises and just applying everything that God tells us instead of trying to get around it and sneak through life. Well, I never did that and I never did that and I never did this and I never did that and I got through life. Yeah, but God couldn't trust you and he couldn't use you the way he wanted to. See, a disciple means a disciplined one. Now we have another surface at 11 o'clock. What were they going to do if I go and Loosen all the strings on their guitars. Take a couple all the way off and they're just dangling there. There's no discipline to the strings anymore. They're, they're, they're you know, when you tune them, they're tuned to something. They're usually tuned to the note A. You know, they have a, um, a little dun, pitchfork. Not a pitchfork. A Tuning, fork. Fork. Tuning fork. Yeah. Some kind of fork. And uh, you tune the instrument to that. But if it's not, it's like, if I went and just messed with all these and nobody told them, and, it, and I, it just sounds terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Are we in tune with Christ? Are we undisciplined? We're not going to do what he says. Oh, we know what he says to do, but we're not going to do it. So we're just, we're, not, we're out of tune with him. Everybody else can think we're in tune with him, but we're just out of tune with him. And the more disciplined we become, The more God can use us. That's the truth of it. And you do things God's way. Here's just a a little B list. Rising early is one of the things. Rising early, fasting, prayer, study, you know, having devotional time with God, giving, making sacrifices, bringing your tithes. And just so you know this a tithe is not a gift. It is not a gift. A tithe belongs to God. And he tells you if you keep the tithe, eh, it ain't going to go as well for you as you should. But we need to, uh, to to give. We need to make sacrifice. We need to bring our tithe. And then we need to give offerings to God. This is part of our spiritual exercise, our development. So God's saying, well, can I trust that man? Can I trust that woman? Can I trust them? And he can tell by where our dollars and cents goes. That richer and ruler walked away because he didn't want to be generous in any capacity. So some other examples is witnessing. Do we ever witness with our life, with our mouth, with our home, with our family, with who we are? Do we ever witness? Regular church attendance is very healthy. If if you, How many of you got a job? Do you need to uh, attend your work every once in a while? Even if you can do it from home now lots of people can work from home certain kinds of things you can do but is it not better if you now have a job that say if if you were just making meals you know or or you are fixing things somebody's car can you just stay home all the time or do you need to show up you need to show up because that's where we worship God together and that's where we are able to study together and all. And there are times when we all can get together and doing it by Zoom and the internet. That's all fantastic. But God wants you to attend in intentionally. And we attend by Zoom and by internet and all those kinds of things. But it's our heart that God's looking at. And he's looking as we're exercising, are we dealing with this selfishness and becoming selfless? It's all about you. And there's this transformation that's taking place. And The more disciplined we become, the more God will entrust to us. He says here in Galatians chapter four, verse one, it says, think of it this way. If a father dies, okay, if a father dies and he leads great wealth for his young children, they're immature, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up and mature. Even though they actually own everything their father had, they can't access it. And three years old and four years old, until they mature, then it will be entrusted into their care. You know, they they've got to learn discipline, and this is what brings about this radical change in you and me as we we mature and we grow and we develop into all that God wants us to be. In Luke chapter nine verse twenty three, it says. Then he, Jesus, said to the crowd, if any of you want to be my followers, you must, this is required, you must put aside your selfish ambitions, shoulder your cross. Does anybody know what the cross means? Yeah. What? Dying to self. Denying ourself. Putting Christ first. Jesus said... This is required. you got to put aside your selfish ambitions, shoulder your cross. is something that you die on. Jesus died on a cross. And he said, shoulder your cross how often? Daily Daily, and follow me. A.W. Tozer said, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne. And the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of backsliding and worldliness among believers today. <clears throat> we want to be saved, but we insist that Christ do all the dying. No cross for us, no dethronement Uh, No dying, we remain king within the little kingdom of Mansoul and we wear our little tinsel crown with all the pride of a Caesar, but we doom ourselves to shadows and weakness to become spiritually sterile. No discipline. And we become spiritually sterile. We're not spiritually fit. We're not spiritually equipped, you know. To give our life for Christ, it appears to be glorious. To pour ourselves out for others, to pay the ultimate price of martyrdom. Yes, I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving our lives to the Lord is like taking a thousand dollar bill, and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that He sends us to the bank to cash in the thousand dollars. cash in the $1,000 for quarters. And after we tithe, we go through life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents there, 25 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 cents there. 25 cents, 50 cents there, 25 there, 25 there, there's 25 cents there, there's 25 cents over there, 25 cents, woohoo, there's a bunch there. 25 cents there, 25 there, there's 25 there, there's 25 cents there, 25 cents. That's not gonna gain a lot of attention, you know what? Oh, you gave 25 cents. Big to do. 25 cents. You helped somebody at 25 cents worth. You know? Listening to the troubles of a neighborhood kid, there's 25 cents of your time and your energy, your resources. Instead of saying to the kid, hey, get lost. Don't bother me. You know? Making a difference in your community. Giving a cup of water to a shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our... Our life to Christ isn't necessarily glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. It'd be easy to go out in a blaze of glory, you know. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. Our mission is to make fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what the Bible tells us to do. That's. That's our mission. And here's four transforming habits that'll help us do that. Spend time daily in God's word. Spend time daily in God's word. Talk to him daily. Prayer, praise, worship, communicate with him. Give weekly to God. Time, energy, you know, talents, tithes, offerings. Learn to be generous. Have regular fellowship with other believers, you know. Habits that we develop they seem to be like cobwebs. You develop a habit of reading the Bible or praying or, or witnessing or whatever. It, it, it seems like a cobweb, but if you'll maintain that habit, it'll become like a cable. They can pull a big old truck that's stuck in the mud out. These habits become awesome and powerful and life-changing. John chapter 8 verse 31 says, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you keep on obeying my teachings. Wow. You keep on obeying my teachings. You make my teachings a habit and you display this transformation lifestyle. Verse 32 says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It'll change you from glory to glory. Now, I got something here. I told y'all last week, didn't I? I didn't show you what was in my bag, and well, some of you asked, you know, so I'm gonna show you. And I hope you don't go, ooh, uh, we know, yeah. But that's a thousand lumen flashlight. But there's something better. You want me to turn it on? I won't shine it at you. I promise I won't shine at your eyes. Is that awesome? No? That's 2,000 lumens. And this is 10,000 lumens. This is 10 times stronger than my other flashlight. I think you can cook your lunch this far away just by shining it at it, you know. I I think so. But there's a transformation that God, he says that we're the light of the world. We're the light of the world. And I think he wants us to shine brightly for him. Not in any any way that's destructive, but to pierce the darkness and to cast off the darkness. I think that's what he wants us to do. Uh, A true disciple continues in God's word. That's what we're just reading, you know, and it'll set you free. You know, if a Christian is is careless in Bible reading, to be honest with you, he'll probably be careless, she'll be careless in Christian living. So it's time for some radical change, radical transformation in our lives. This is what it says. Last verse, we're going to look at it says in Second Corinthians chapter three, verse eighteen, in it Amplified. is when I read last week, and all of us, as with an unveiled face, because we continued, we continued to behold. It means to look upon in the Word of God as in a mirror. You know, there in, in the Word of God, there's this, there's this mirror. You know, and as you look into the Word of God, oh, I can see the ceiling. You know. And as you look into the word of God, the Bible tells us you can see him. And he says, as we look into the word of God, as in a mirror, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we're constantly being transfigured, transformed, changed. It's a process. We are constantly being transformed and changed. It's a process into his very own image in ever increasing splendor from one degree of glory to another. Last thing I want to share with you, Sam. Sam was my best dog ever. He was a field trial dog who found birds and he pointed them with contagious enthusiasm. Sam Sam taught me the joy of becoming part of nature. If his point said a bird was hiding over there in that clump of bushes, it was there. He was so much more than a bird dog, though. Often we'd share together lazy lunches in an abandoned apple orchard or a snooze that followed. Late one afternoon, Sam and I became separated. Neither of us was familiar with the area, and I called and I whistled and no sign of Sam. I had to get back to town for a very important appointment, but how could I leave Sam? If he came back and I wasn't there, would I lose him for good? And then I remembered a trick an old dog trainer had passed on to me. And I unbuttoned my jacket and I removed my shirt. Unbuttoned my jacket and I removed my shirt and I laid it on the ground under the branches of a small bush and I worried all night. But when I returned the next morning, there was Sam curled up with his nose under the sleeve of my shirt. And he looked up and he wagged his tail Where you been, friend? His eyes seem to say. I've been waiting for you all night, but I knew you'd come back. When you feel lost, do we look for some part of God's word to curl up on it, knowing that God will meet us there if we wait and have faith in him? See, If we're reading God's Word every day, you can curl up on it. And I want to challenge you, if you have ever done it, maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but I want to challenge you to begin to read the Bible, read it through in this new year. It takes you 10 to 15 minutes a day, but it's the most important book you'll ever read, I promise you. and It will build your faith, and it will bring about spiritual exercise and development and maturity in your life. And um, I'll tell you what, Susan and I are going to do. We're, we're using the, the U Version Bible. And how can they find that? On their phone or computer. If you go on your phone or your computer and you go to U Version, a, a free app that you can access to read through the Bible in a year. If, if you choose to do it, you'll be reading the same scripture I'm reading every day, and Susan, we're going to go through the whole Bible this way. And I'll promise you, it will build your faith. It will give you wisdom. It will give you insight in unbelievable kinds of ways. A link on our and on our so, on our website, there's a link, you know, and just what I taught today. If you go to Uversion on your phone, if you have Uversion, and it's free, if you go there and you, you can uh, type in events, I think it is, and you'll look up Faith Living Church. And it'll show you all the scriptures I use today. But then you can do the app and you can read through the Bible in a year, 10, 15 minutes a day. The best investment you'll ever make, I guarantee you. It builds faith and it gives us insight and wisdom and spiritual development. Um, well, you know what? I've kind of maybe gone just a wee bit too long here, but I'd like to pray for you as we launch out into a new year. Because this year, we're expecting change. Fantastic, awesome change. I'm telling you the best is yet to come. It's right there in your Bible over and over again. You're going to see that. So let's just bow our heads and I want to challenge you to prepare for this change. And If you can come on up here, Susan, but as our heads are bowed right now, I challenge you to offer your, your life to Christ, that you welcome him into your life for this whole coming year as savior, as Lord, as King. Acknowledge to him that you trust him and you surrender your all as he surrenders to us, his all. If you already know him, would you reaffirm your faith in him with me right now? If you don't know him, would you declare your faith with us right now? Would you pray after me right now? Dear Heavenly Father.
0: Dear Heavenly Father.
1: I believe that you love me.
0: I believe that you love me.
1: And I believe the best is yet to come.
0: And I believe the best is yet to come.
1: I believe you have great plans for my life.
0: I believe you have great plans for my life.
1: And I surrender my all.
0: And I surrender my all.
1: I want to do things your way.
0: I want to do things your way.
1: I believe that Jesus gave his life.
0: I believe that Jesus gave his life.
1: And 3 days later.
0: And 3 days later. He
1: rose from the dead.
0: He rose from the dead.
1: I believe he's knocking at the door of my heart.
0: I believe he's knocking at the door of my heart.
1: And I open wide that door.
0: And I open wide that door.
1: And I welcome Jesus in. And
0: I welcome Jesus as my savior. As my savior. As my lord. As my lord. And
1: as my king.
0: And as my king.
1: I'm sorry for my sinful ways.
0: I'm sorry for my sinful ways.
1: I turn from those things.
0: I turn from those things.
1: And I choose your ways.
0: And I choose your ways.
1: In all of my life.
0: In all of my life.
1: In Jesus' name. In
0: Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.